Hello and welcome to Parley, the Hindu's weekly podcast discussing questions of contemporary relevance. I am Shudipta Datta, your host for today. In 2017, the Supreme Court refused to delve into the question of marital rape of adult women while examining an exception to Section 375 of the Indian Penal Code, which allows a man to force sex on his wife. Recent rulings by high courts have been contradictory. One backed marital rape as a valid ground for divorce. Another granted anticipatory bail to a man while concluding that forcible sex is not an illegal thing. Why do differences persist despite the Justice J.S. Verma Committee recommendation to criminalize marital rape? Today we'll be discussing why marital rape has not been criminalized in India yet. Joining me are Shraddha Chaudhary, Lecturer, General Global Law School, and Manuraj Shunmuga Sundaram, who's advocate, Madras High Court, and spokesperson of the DNK. Uh, good morning, Mrs. Sundaram and Ms. Chaudhary. Thank you for joining uh, this Pali discussion that we are having on marital rape. So I'll start uh, by asking this question: Recent rulings by the High Court pointing out that any sexual act by a man against his wife, even if it involves force, is not rape. And this perhaps highlights the lacuna in the penal code, which does not recognize marital rape. So is there a loophole in the Indian penal code? And if there is, and how can it be corrected? And also, I wanted to ask that why does a provision like this exist in the IPC in the first place in a, in a liberal democracy like ours? So, Ms. Chaudhary, would you like to start uh, by taking this? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, this is a really good question. The IPC generally defines sexual offenses in a gender-specific way, right? So men may be perpetrators and women may be victims within the scheme of the law. Uh, now, Section 375 specifically defines the offense of rape and it lays down which physical acts are required to make out the offense. And it's a very broad definition. It includes a wide range of penetrative acts. The second important element of this definition is consent. So where any of these penetrative acts are done without the consent of the woman, then the offense of rape is made out. Now, this is the general rule. There is an exception to this rule, and that's what we are concerned with today. The exception says that sexual acts by a husband with his wife, provided that she is 18 years of age, would not be rape. So what's happening here is that while the rest of the provision is centered on consent, this exception doesn't talk about consent at all. It creates a legal fiction. It deems that a wife always consents to her husband, which in effect means that her non-consent is irrelevant. Now, of course, it is possible for there to be reprieve for rape within a marriage, but not as rape. You, if there are physical injuries, then there can be reprieve for that separately. Uh, marital rape may be recognized as a form of cruelty. It may be a ground for divorce, right? But it's not punished as a wrong of rape, which is a very distinct wrong and has very distinct harms. So that is where the lacuna in the law really lies. Now, insofar as fixing it is concerned, either the parliament may legislate and remove this exception or a constitutional court uh, has to strike it down. And the, those are really the two ways to do it. Should we, should we hear from, uh, from Mr. Manu about um, this before we go on to the to why it exists? Yeah, yeah. Yes, yes. Mr. Sundaram, I would like you to lend your thoughts about this. 
Thank, thank you, Stita. No, I have very little to add to what has been extremely, you know, well articulated by uh, Ms. Shraddha Chaudhary, except uh, perhaps to answer one other part of your question, which is, how did we end up with this, right? Why, why did we end up here? And partly the answer is because we inherited an Indian penal code, which was, you know, prior to the enactment of the constitution, but that does not absolve us of the deficiencies in the present uh, legal structure and legal fiction, as Shraddha has said. Now, it is not the case that, you know, other countries like the United Kingdom have continued with this legal fiction. In fact, in 1991, the House of Lords was very categorical when it said that you cannot maintain that, the, that by marriage alone, a wife submits herself irrevocably to sexual intercourse in all circumstances. And this subsequently was enacted as the Sexual Offenders Act in 2003. So the so-called marital rape immunity or the exception to rape as we've um, structured it in our Indian Penal Code has been done away with in other jurisdictions and rightly so. And as Shraddha has pointed out, uh, of course, uh, marital rape today exists in a very unique sort of stratosphere wherein it can be a ground for cruelty uh, and therefore for divorce under the personal laws, but it will not render uh, the offender guilty of the offence itself. So where does the fault lie? Is, with, is it with Parliament which has failed to legislate it or it's more complicated or is it a more complicated situation here? I mean, why do we still have it then? Ms. Chaudhary, please. So, yeah, I think you're right in saying that it is a bit more complicated than just saying that the parliament has not legislated. Of course, I think primarily it it should have fallen to the parliament to legislate on this and, and to remove this exception. But we should also keep in mind that courts have also, you know, noted the cruelty of this exception and they've acknowledged its problems. Especially the Supreme Court. In many... Yes. And they've not gone on to strike it down entirely. So, so, so I think it is on both sides a bit. As far as the parliament is concerned, um, you see that it is quite common to leave legislation that may not give very good political returns to the court. We saw this with Section 377 as well. Uh, it had to be struck down by the court finally. So it is, uh, in that sense, perhaps a political decision by the parliament and, and regardless of ideology. Um, to, to not legislate on this subject. Okay. Mrs. Sundaram, I want to bring you in here with this question. But why was the recommendation of the Justice J.S. Verma Committee on Mar Marital Rape not accepted when the IPC was amended in 2013? Because he, it was part of the recommendation that it be criminalized. Yes, uh, and, and I, I will quickly answer that, but I also want to add something to what was earlier said about the parliament and the court. Legislation. Yeah, please go ahead. So, you know, uh, the, the parliament, as, as Shraddha has rightly pointed out, there, there are, you know, some sort of limitations, though, um, though these are limitations only in the minds of people, not real limitations. But nevertheless, the parliament, I believe, did miss an opportunity uh, to enact changes as recommended by the Justice Verma Committee. The official response of the of the ministers of the cabinet of the council at that point of time is they wanted further discussions around marital rape laws before they could enact it 
because it involved it involved uh, other questions of law as well there might be some uh, element of truth to that but it definitely exposes uh, a vulnerability to issues that may not uh, have political mileage or in fact may have other sort of political ramifications nevertheless again as, as shraddha has pointed out and as we are sort of coming to the third anniversary of the navtej singh johar judgment uh, the supreme court the ultimate guardian of constitutional rights or the sentinel qui vive as we uh, often remark in many of our op-eds uh, has may has i i think missed a fantastic opportunity uh, when it Uh, had an occasion to go into these matters in the independent thought case in 2017 now like with navtej johar when the supreme court according to me missed an opportunity to provide the entire spectrum of civil marital inheritance succession rights to uh, non heterosexual couples i think the supreme court equally missed an opportunity under uh, during the course of the independent thought uh, case to extend uh, its its sort of remit to look at all forms of uh, marital rape not only that restricted to women below the age of 18 years the the actual reason given by the supreme court during independent thought is that we have refrained from making any observation with regard to marital rape because the issue is not before us at all but that's not quite uh, fair in my opinion because the supreme court as we know under article 142 Uh, has powers to you know almost equivalent to that of a law making power so they could have gone in they realized there is a vacuum here and that they they realized obviously that this is a fundamental rights issue and the supreme court should not wait for petitioners to bring individual cases for constitutional adjudication but could have taken the initiative so i i would say it's an opportunity missed by parliament in 2013 and the supreme court in 2017 right Right, Mr. Chaudhary, do you think that that's what it should be? It should have been removed completely when they were reading down uh, the uh, you know the exception to Section three seventy five. Yeah, I think I think what what Manu said makes complete sense. Uh, there was an opportunity before the court, and the court made the decision to restrict itself only to the question of minors, and and then that case was constructed in a way that it became about. you know parity between the indian penal code on the one hand and the protection of children from sexual offences act on the other so in the end it became about parity between those two and child rights and protecting children so the question of adult women was consciously left out uh, he is right in saying that it need not have been uh, have been that way uh, but but i'm sure there will also be a lot of constitutional commentators who will uh, talk about the merits of you know judicial restraint so so it i mean an argument can be made that way as well but but i am personally in agreement with manu here that it it could have been that way uh, but just to add to the to the last question about why in 2013 this change was not made uh, we should also keep in mind that more recently in 2019 uh, dr shashi tharoor has introduced a private members bill to criminalize marital rape and even that has not you know come to anything yet um and and it seems that there is definitely within parliament especially a sense that there will not be a lot of public support for a decision like this and you know it a lot of and and perhaps that's not very uh, incorrect of them to the in, by incorrect i mean that perhaps that is not very inaccurate 
because a lot of people including you know educated people who who otherwise seem liberal minded still believe that criminalizing marital rape will somehow threaten the institution of marriage and will become some sort of witch hunt against husbands right and i think perhaps the government did not feel prepared to counter these arguments i was just saying that these arguments go back to the victorian morality of the ipc in 1860 which which the ipc has continued and which we have tried to counter through the years but have not quite done it fully or as well as perhaps we would have liked to and that morality uh, also captured you know the common law of coverture under which women had no rights after marriage they their rights were to be exercised by their husbands and they were so completely reduced to the status of chattel of property and so it was simply presumed that you know their consent uh, would not matter they would have to they would have a duty to submit to the sexual whims of their husbands and so the construction then of the woman becomes as the object of male sexual desire rather than a subject who has her own wishes her own desires and can say no can govern her own body so all of these things then become connected it it informs the way that we think of marriage it informs the way that we think of you know how husbands will uh, quote unquote suffer if such a provision is brought in uh, so mrs sundaram this i wanted to go to the next question that you also mentioned it before that most of the countries have now criminalized marital rape and judgments of courts such as the european court of human rights have stressed on the offense and violence of rape rather than the relationship between the perpetrator and the victim to what extent are these developments relevant to india do we need to sensitize people a little more well uh, they are extremely relevant uh, in terms of how our own jurisprudence uh, could shape and evolve uh, in the coming years of course you again you know you've seen how uh, lgbtq jurisprudence over the last 15 years in other countries i would say has impacted to some extent how india's own jurisprudence from navtej johar has changed with regard to uh, lgbtq rights so we we cannot we cannot um, ignore these developments around us but ultimately the recognition of uh, the 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 perversity of the marital rape exception must come within from within Uh, and for that we only need to look towards article 14 now the 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 most compelling argument uh, in support of the marital rape exception as it is prevalent in our statute today is that the institution of marriage is sacrosanct and that it should not be uh, disturbed or or any such but one must only try to understand the constitution places no importance on any particular institution the co- the constitution is unequivocal in its uh, significance given to the individual so the person deserves equality the person deserves you know uh, equal protection dignity and autonomy exactly so therefore this entire legal fiction again as shada described it of of marriage which then you know provides you this exception to marital rape in itself is unconstitutional and violative of what we consider to be you know the heart and soul article 14 of the constitution now as you rightly put these are all offenses which involve um or or are against bodily integrity uh, 
you know just because the nature of the or the relationship of between the victim and the offender is is one of marriage it does not absolve the crime it is akin to saying that you know two people can enter into a contract and then one person can be abused or or denied fundamental rights on the basis of that contract which again would fall short and will fall will be violative of uh, our constitutional rights and and finally you know i think uh, what we've come to understand in terms of uh, the institution of marriage is that there is an option today for people to leave the institution there there is an option that people live with dignity and can you know file for divorce uh, even file for divorce under mutual consent and you know in the days to come under irretrievable breakdown of marriage so therefore this entire um, sort of argument that is built around uh, marriage institution of marriage and its sanctity i think needs to be broken and which is what has happened in uh, i think other uh, jurisdictions around us and ultimately once we realize that i think we will then move towards a more sort of you know a fairer deal for uh, for women under the rape provisions ms chaudhary would you like to add anything to that yeah just i think i think that makes a lot of sense but just i just wanted to add one more point is that not from the judgments perhaps specifically but there is uh, beyond that something we can learn from the experiences of these countries after they have actually criminalized marital rape and the first thing we can see from that is that it did not lead to a witch hunt against husband husbands and it definitely did not lead to some sort of end of marriage as an institution or the destruction of marriage marriage is very much thriving uh, everywhere as like, although perhaps it's just become more of a choice in other countries and the second thing that perhaps we can learn is that yes there are socio economic differences between india and some of the countries that have criminalized marital rape and i i was reading that the government has um, has has used that as well as a rationale against criminalizing marital rape to say that there is a lot of poverty and illiteracy and diversity in this country which makes this complex and that's true it does make it complex but we need to question to what extent these issues map on to the issue of marital rape and to what extent we can let them hamstring us right when the constitution was adopted our framers knew the conditions of the country they they were the same then as they are now perhaps they are a bit better now and even then we aspired for a better india at that time we aspired to end discrimination whether it's based on gender or caste and to have a thriving liberal democracy based in equality right as as mr sundaram rightly pointed out article 14 is at the heart of all this and in so far as these values are concerned we definitely have more in sorry common with the countries that have criminalized marital rape than those which have not so so those those are definitely things we can learn okay so even that considering that it's a complex issue i wanted to ask both of you uh, one question that you know what are the hurdles in reporting and prosecuting a crime like a marital rape and especially how is it different from other kinds of rape will it be different so mrs sundaram would you like to take that first sure uh, i i to, to me i don't think it is very different and i don't think we should view uh, it any more challenging to report a, a so called you know marital rape uh, as opposed to any other act of sexual violence most of these acts i mean uh, empirically and anecdotally we know 
are away from sort of eyewitnesses and and to 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 lead evidence is a challenge in in itself so therefore i don't see why marital rape should be particularly more difficult to report or uh, prove in court than any other sexual offense now the 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 only sort of legal like fiction again i use this term because i think it's the most appropriate term the only legal fiction created is the institution of marriage means that consent is given uh, once and for all so long as that institution exists which i think is the notion that needs to be broken down consent must be gotten or obtained for every act it needs to be act wise consent so therefore uh, this entire you know question of reporting so, so once you make once you remove that uh, understanding that consent is given as soon as the as soon as the garlands are exchanged or rings are exchanged uh, uh, during the wedding day then you will then start looking at this as consent per act so then once you start doing that how is this any different from any other sexual uh, violence you know uh, that that happens outside or or, or inside a re- relationship marital or otherwise and secondly i just want to say look even uh, if you see in in the last 10 years the poxo act uh, which you know um, criminalizes child sexual offenses uh, has really been important sort of step in ensuring that there is justice for child sexual abuse victims now we know empirically and anecdotally that most offenders of child sexual abuses are within the family but we don't give them immunity right we don't say there's an institution of family so let's protect uh, offenders who are within the same family i think it's this is we need to show that it is as absurd as asking for protection of a family member from a child sexual uh, abuse as it is to say a husband from a marital rape uh crime act offense right mr chaudhary would you like to add or yeah really just um, just one thing that i thought of over and above this was that the marital space or the marital relationship uh, we've seen with the domestic violence act or section 498a does create issues uh, in reporting and prosecuting but that is not because of the nature of the offense or what is being criminalized the issues as i think mr sundaram hinted at are because of the way that our the functionaries in the criminal justice system think and perceive these things so the police and then judges and you know prosecutors anyone who is involved in the system with whom the victim will have to interact it is they who are likely to create uh, unwittingly or uh, you know intentionally create barriers in reporting and prosecution because in their minds uh, th- th- this 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 legal fiction of you know consent being presumed within a marriage may persevere even if the law happens to be changed and so that is what will need to really be targeted and we can probably learn quite a bit from the poxo as well in this regard um the issues of reporting which come from knowing the offender um can be seen in the poxo act the fear that comes from it the access the intimidation that comes from it and so those are likely to map on to something like marital rape as well and so targeted you know sensitization of functionaries and having social workers to help out and having you know good rules and guidelines in place all of these will be 
uh, important in 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 making a law that criminalizes marital rape actually work actually be implemented otherwise you know it it just stays on paper and nothing really comes of it right so this brings me to my last question really like um would you agree that social structures that justify violence against women of patriarchal mindsets or misogynist you know attitudes they have remained the same and therefore pose a challenge to the implementation of laws on rape i mean how much is how much does that need to change the social mindset even if laws are amended but have mindsets changed to sort of implement the laws mr sundaram you first sure so yes absolutely no question about that you know so even even when i criticize the parliament and the judiciary you know they, these are still people who are part of our larger society so societal change is very important and and it it is not only the the patriarchy or the misogyny that needs to change according to me uh, as you put it 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 you, we need to go further we need to challenge notions about like i said the sanctity of marriage uh, we need to check ourselves every time we indulge in blaming the victim because every sexual offense there the, the 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 initial sort of response is to question raise questions around the victim so that needs to also change we also need to i think challenge our own sort of traditional or conservative mindsets when it comes to discussing uh, sexual offenses or or offenses that take place within the family just going back to poxo even till date poxo crimes are heavily under reported because most of the abuse is within the family so therefore so these all these sort of uh, mindsets needs to change its patriarchy is by and large the most sort of overbearing of these but of course like i said but there are hundreds of other things as well that need to change yes yes miss choudhury yes that's that's completely right and just in in tune with with that i think it's Uh, when we talk about expanding the scope of these social structures which which you know justify violence against women and then also violence against other um whether it's gender minorities or its children or um other classes of people based on caste all of these come from resistance to privilege there have existed certain power structures in societies that have typically been based on you know in our society especially on caste and then on gender and these power structures are challenged by laws for instance that criminalize rape laws that then as mr sundaram has pointed out uh, you know question this sanctity that is given to marriage the special place that is given to marriage all of these laws question privilege and power and whenever laws question privilege and power the rhetoric of misuse the rhetoric of you know this is going to destroy society as we know it always come in and that is the strongest you know kind of weapon that is uh, uh, that is operationalized against the implementation of these laws and it's important to counter those narratives as well to establish that you know that that a that misuse is extremely unlikely and as mr sundaram said to believe victims to believe complainants and b that this hullabaloo of misuse is a red herring and and in fact should not be given should not become the reason why we don't extend protections at all perhaps there is no law in existence that is not at some level or by some person being misused but you will notice that it is only laws which protect 
the disadvantaged, the impoverished, the, you know, discriminated, which people talk about as being misused. They don't talk about other laws being misused. So so we need to see through this red herring. We need to really um, counter it strongly, uh, both in our in our politics, in, in our judgments, in, in civil society. And we need to change the narrative around this. Okay. And, Do you see that, that happening? Since we have amended a lot of things, do you see that happening? I see it. I see some change happening. Definitely, it's not like it's not like we haven't moved on at all. Uh, and especially judgments like Navteh Johar and then Joseph Shine versus Union of India, even Independent Thought, they they all lay down the constitutional framework, the uh, you know the arguments really that you need to strike down a law like um, uh, the exception. Uh, to to marital rape and so we definitely see a change in judicial mindset as well and i'm sure there is um, there are a number of politicians who also understand the problem with an exception like this so it's really about reaching perhaps a critical mass of opinion and uh, that i think is still uh, we still have some some way to go so mr sundaram would you agree to that yes yes i i, I as um Sada has rightly pointed out everything from Navtej Johar to Joseph Shine Independent Thought. They, they, that there is a roadmap. That the roadmap ready is readily available for either the constitutional courts or uh, the the parliament to to sort of now act on this. But again, you know, I just want to stress three points. One is we need to frame the entire discussion around rape as you know, an offense against bodily integrity. We need to emphasize the importance of the rights of the individual as laid down in Article 14. And we need to tell people that every act must be protected with consent and consent cannot be given in an omnibus manner. I think if we do this, if these three points are understood, I think with the roadmap that is there, with the precedence that there is there, I, th- I think change uh, is probably around the corner. Uh, Shraddha, would you want to add to that? Or? No, no, no. I think I think everything's been covered. Right. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you both.